All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Kieran Goggins. Kieran is spelled C-I-A-R-A-N. Goggins is G-O-G-G-I-N-S. He runs the blog Gogzilla. And last time we talked about uh, the deep agent in the IRA referred to as Steak Knife. But tonight we're going to talk about a long-running case in the U.K., the murder of Daniel Morgan. And last week I talked about the Hillsborough disaster, which happened 30 years ago, and but still has recent developments happening. And, and this Daniel Morgan case is very, uh, you know, topic. it's a topical topic and very well known in the UK. So uh, K- Kieran has agreed to the interview and is going to tell us more about that. Kieran, are you there? I am. Awesome. Thank you for very much for the interview. So for people who haven't heard our last one about Steak Knife, maybe you can talk about, you know, your locale, your your interest, and how you became interested in this topic, and then give a kind of a general overview of the Daniel Morgan case. Yes, well, we did have a, a chat before about Steak Knife, uh, and that obvious, obviously that case is still going on. What we'll be discussing tonight is the uh, one of the most high-profile unsolved murders in British history. Uh, in fact, I think it comes second after Jack the Ripper. Uh, Daniel Morgan was a private eye uh, detective who was murdered in London. Gotcha. 1987, right? That's correct. So it's been 32 years. Gotcha. You there? Yes. Okay. Please continue. Yeah. Well, uh, Morgan was murdered, and uh, the murder itself was, was very strange. I've been looking at this case for quite a long time. I'm going to divide it into two parts. Great. The first part is the murder itself, and then we'll come to the aftermath. Okay. Now, the murder, the murder itself was uh, our, in the car park of a, a pub, you know, a bar, called the Golden Lion in Sydenham. Now, Morgan had been there a few times, Daniel Morgan had been there a few times, to buy some drugs for his brother, Alistair, who was having a drugs problem. Uh, it was... Um, Kind of a shady, it's it's now under new management, by the way, kind of a shady place, but uh, it wasn't really his local drinking den. You know, he had other other bars around town that he would have frequented. Now, Morgan's body was found in the car park. Uh, he'd been killed by an axe. He'd been struck, I think, five times in the head with an axe. Uh, he had over a thousand pounds. This is going back over 30 years. It's quite a considerable sum of cash to have. Uh, which uh, which hadn't been taken, but strangely enough, he had a Rolex watch which was stolen. Hmm. So we don't think mugging was a motive for the murder for the simple reason that you're going to take money, aren't you? You're not going to to leave a thousand pound on a body. Right. Uh, what actually happened, or the thing which is which has now come under intense scrutiny, is the fact that the police lost what what uh, we might call the golden hour, the one hour after the murder when they should have sealed off the crime scene, when they should have uh, been you know, very proactive about trying to find out what happened. Uh, the detective um, who was in charge of the case, quite a high-ranking uh, policeman by the name of Campbell, turned up and proceeded to get drunk. He just started drinking a bottle of whiskey. Campbell was having um, family problems with his daughter, and uh, he just, as I say, turned up and started to, to drink. One of the younger policemen said, shouldn't we cordon off the area? Shouldn't we be sort of trying to, to find out what happened? Uh, Campbell just sort of told him to get lost or whatever. Uh, so we've got a, a complete mess up when it comes to that vital first 60 minutes. 
So obviously, with any murder, one has to look at means, motive, uh, opportunity. And this is where very lazy policing came into it. And it's dogged it right the way up to today. This is what we're dealing with the aftermath. Gotcha. Uh, after the murder, Daniel Morgan's business colleague, his business partner, Jonathan Reese, uh, was was questioned. And after a while, the police actually made a, a series of arrests. They made six, I think six arrests initially, including Jonathan Reese. Uh, they arrested uh, two of Jonathan Reese's um, relatives at the time. His brother, he was married to uh, the, the sister of two guys uh, uh, called the Vian brothers, Gary and Glenn Vian. And this is where we come up to recent developments, This is uh, which I'll deal with in the aftermath. Okay. Now, no evidence and no facts have emerged to link Jonathan Reese with the murder, with the exception of the fact that he was a business partner. And certainly over the previous few months, the Morgan and Reese friendship, which had been very close, had, had completely... Uh, cooled. Both of them wanted to get out of their business arrangement. Uh, Jonathan Reese wanted to go his way. Daniel Morgan wanted to go his way. So you've obviously got, uh, you know, Jonathan Reese being a prime suspect, and that's right. not a problem. And Reese was with is, Morgan at the Golden Line too, right? I mean, I think well, Morgan they, was there. Yeah, they'd arranged right. to meet right. at the Golden Line for a drink or whatever. There's quite okay. a few people. Sorry. There's quite a few people there. So, um, uh, this again, when the police were were trying to do a reconstruction, apparently, and this this is a point we need to come back to. Supposedly, two men of Mediterranean appearance were were hanging around, looking a bit dodgy. Um, Morgan had just got back from Malta, where he'd repossessed a Land Rover. Now, somebody thought that it was worth worth their while to send Morgan and one of his colleagues, a chap called David Bray, over to Malta for a week. Uh, to stay in in a, in a hotel and then to to repossess this car and drive it from Italy right the way across Europe to to England. Uh, one of the theories of the murder was that uh, when the car arrived in England, it should have had uh, quite a substantial amount of drugs in, it and these had gone missing. So whether that was cause for the murder, that's one uh, very prominent theory. It's one one of the only two theories that we can ascribe any sort of uh, weight to. The other theory was, again, nothing to do with Jonathan Reese, was to do with the fact that Morgan was having several affairs and the partner or the wife of one of the, the guys that he was, uh, that he was uh, having an affair with had found out and is supposed to have said, if I find out the man who, who's doing this, I'm going to kill him, unquote. But the police kind of focused in on other people, right? Not the Not the drug story or the... Uh, infidelity story, correct? And they never really checked out the, the Maltese connection, if we want to call it that, and they never really checked out the fact that the, there was at least one guy that was after Morgan or suspected that Morgan was, was sleeping with his wife or or their wife or whatever. Uh, they just seemed to have concentrated on Jonathan Reese and the immediate uh, Southern Investigations was the name of the company, uh, on the fact that uh, that, that uh, Morgan and Reese had had a bit of a falling out. Gotcha. And then what happened next? Well, Jonathan Reese was, was, was released because they didn't really have any anything to go on. Uh, but this started a 30, uh, over 30 years of the police sort of vindictively targeting Jonathan Reese. He was, uh, uh, well, this is, this is the part we're, we're now dealing with called the aftermath. He, uh, 
he was put on trial, I think, five times. Wow. And on five occasions, the entire police investigation fell apart. It's incredibly shoddy. In fact, what we're now dealing with in terms of developments is the fact that the uh, detective chief superintendent, uh, chief, sorry, detective chief superintendent Dave Cook uh, was the one who led the last inquiry. He's now claiming he was mentally ill at the time and he can't be held accountable for his actions. Uh, Cook more or less tried to frame uh, Reese and, and uh, the Vian brothers and a few other people. He'd gone, this is, this is all in the public domain now, it's all very high profile. He'd gone to a mentally ill drug addict and said to him, you know, we're going to give you lots of money, lots of drugs, if you'll get up in court and state that you overheard Jonathan Reese claiming that he wanted uh, Daniel Morgan murdered. Now, as soon as the cross-examination began, the, the entire thing fell apart. Uh, the supergrass had been actually allowed to, uh, to to mix with other people. You know, they, they should be what's called a sterile corridor. Right. Can that you, can you uh, describe what supergrass is for the American Sorry. audience? Okay. It's, it's a common term over here, probably not in, in the States. Uh, somebody who, um, if you've ever s saw the film uh, Goodfellows, when the guy rats out all of his pals, you know, this is right. a supergrass is somebody who's ratting out everyone. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, obviously, he'd been promised, uh, uh, you know, drugs and money and everything. But uh, as, as I say, when, when the court case came about, it was quite evident that this particular witness had been coached and was absolutely useless. So the prosecution started digging into his past and found out that he had a lot of convictions for, for being a, uh, a drug addict, that he'd been known to be telling tall stories all, all around town about a variety of different things. So nobody paid him the slightest bit of, of attention. But of course, he was ideal for the Metropolitan Police's uh, role right. as somebody that could fit up or frame Jonathan Rees. And which one of the of the of the trials was that? Was that the most recent trial, or that's yeah, the that was I suppose we could call it the fifth. The fifth, so two thousand eight. Wow, yeah. So yeah, well, even even be, um, after that, I think it was uh, twenty eleven. I think that there was some um, legal uh, the last time that they were making a concerted effort to try and uh, frame Jonathan Reese for this murder. And uh, in fact, if we backtrack slightly. Back in the late 1990s, somebody who Jonathan Reese and Sid Fillery, who's the other guy that was involved, and the Vian brothers, they all knew this, that they were on the edge of, of, uh, of the legal world, let's say, in, in London. And there was an ex-policeman who'd disappeared for a few years and he came back and he'd started spinning a story about he, he was interested in being, becoming a private eye. Was there any way he could help them? Now, unknown to them, he was actually planting a bug in their office wow. so that the Metropolitan Police could hear everything. Uh, what they also used was, was to put stories in the newspaper that perhaps the car that was involved in the murder had been found, that they've got vital new evidence. And then this guy would walk out of the room and the police would try and, and listen in to what was being said because obviously they thought, whether it was Jonathan Reese or somebody else, and they would say, oh my God, now we're going to get caught because because of this uh, new evidence. But, of course, nothing happened. There was nothing to tie Jonathan Reese to the murder. Uh, very strangely, there was a case, uh, and I'll now mention this, 
Kim James and Simon James were obviously a married couple who were going through an acrimonious divorce. And supposedly on tape, there is, uh, for instance, now we can, because we're, we're doing audio. So if I say to you, uh, perhaps you should plant drugs in John Smith's car or whatever, and then you merely repeat, so I should plant drugs in John Smith's car. Now, if I take that snip of a soundbite and play it in court, it sounds as if you're saying, yes, let's go out and plant drugs in, in someone's car. Right. What, what we're now finding out is the guy that bugged the office was actually leading. He was just putting these things out. And instead of, the, you know, because, for instance, if I ask you to do something illegal, you just turn around immediately and say, well, I'm sorry, I don't want to do that. In, instead of just repeating the last line, uh, they've got an enormous amount of stuff. Uh, stuff um, me, images were found on Sid Fillory's computer, uh, which were uh, pornographic, child pornography. We've now found out that these have been placed on there by the same person who had his own stash of child pornography. There's absolutely nothing to do with Sid Fillory. Sid Fillory's totally innocent of, of what he was charged with. They couldn't charge Jonathan Reese with anything. So they thought, well, we'll cobble together something about him putting or uh, trying to put drugs into an innocent woman's car so that her husband can get the uh, custody of the baby. It's just incredible. So it's just this ongoing police corruption associated with the investigation of this case for decades. Very much so. It's corruption at the highest level. Um, As you, I mean, you probably have chiefs of police in America. Over here, we have chief constables. Now, the current chief constable in in Britain, in London, is Cressida Dick. Um, One of the former deputies was John Yates. And John Yates plays a huge role in this. And you can see that Although we have a detective chief superintendent, Dave Cook, who's obviously quite high ranking, Cook was taking orders from people of uh, assistant chief constable ranks such as John Yates. So it goes up to the highest level. Wow, yeah. And it's kind of similar to the Hillsborough disaster because there is a concern about the involvement of Freemasons too, right? Well, yeah, this is a fairly minor thing. We will go into it because... Yeah, I've been asked about this on Gogzilla, and um, the Freemasons actually play a fairly minor role. Hmm. Apart from the fact that the the, um, uh, chap who did the bugging was um, linked to Alan Taffy Holmes, which we will also have to mention. Uh, He's uh, a prominent, well, say, prominent Freemason. He's in the same Masonic Lodge as the Chief Constable of Norfolk, uh, who's also the the Chief Constable who's got this... um, uh, remit of child pornography because in Britain, I don't think it happens in the States, you have, let's say, 43 chief constables and they all have a remit, a particular uh, area or field that they have to be experts in. Huh. Now, Hillsborough actually links slightly <clears throat> to the Daniel Morgan murder because we've got South Yorkshire, obviously that's where Hillsborough is, mm-hmm. and uh, this guy who did the bugging uh, after he left the police had gone up uh, to Thurnscoe, which is a small village in, in Yorkshire, gotcha. South Yorkshire, and he'd sabotaged, you know, miners, same as in the United States, miners get lung disease. Right. Black lung, they call it. Yeah, black lung, that's exactly it. And uh, these miners had wanted to bring this uh, uh, case to court, and this guy just sabotaged them all, and he went into a, a pub and started joking about how he messed up all the all the claim forms deliberately. And news of this got back to to Thurnscoe, which is a small place. Um, But as I say, we were talking about the Freemason link. We'll just touch back on that again. Okay. 
very there, there, there wasn't really much. You know, people have tried to make a big deal out of there were Freemason Masonic links with with the Morgan murder. There really weren't. And I've spent over a decade looking at this. And if there had been anything, I would have got it by now. The only thing that we can mention is what's known as an affinity lodge. Now, an affinity lodge is a specific lodge which deals with, for instance, there's one for electricians, there's one for actors, and there's one for the police. So obviously, if you're involved in policing or, or you're a judge, it might help your career to be involved. But what you're also getting is a, a dichotomy. You're getting a two-tier legal system whereby uh, if you're in the Masonic uh, world, they'll obviously go a lot easier on you. Whereas if you're not, then you're, you're just getting sidelined by judges who, who are able to give funny handshakes to police chiefs. Gotcha. And then, um, so so the Masonic, you don't think is a huge involvement, but what there, there, I mean, there's still, Reeves was no, uh, no, no white swan, so to speak. He was also kind of involved in a lot of corruption himself. Well, the only, the only thing that we can say about Jonathan Reese, and I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, he was no saint, but he wasn't the, the sinner that he was painted out to be. Interesting. Uh, all he did was he was involved with, uh, when he was running stolen investigations, especially after the, the, the case that I was telling you about, the Kim James case, mm-hmm. and elements of the Kim James case have been found to be so unsound that they're now going to, uh, to an appeal, if, if you will. Uh, all that Jonathan Reese was doing was if, for instance, some pop star or TV star was, in, was having an affair, he might look into... This is where the, the um, chief superintendent, uh, Dave Cook, thing comes into it. Uh, somebody had said, oh, he's, he and his wife, maybe some, one of them is having an affair. So they were put under some sort of surveillance. You know, these are private detectives. These are uh, private eyes who would you know, try and, and find out if somebody was calling at the house at, at funny times or whatever. Uh, that's really the the limit of Jonathan Reese's illegal. It's not even illegal. It's just uh, uh, shady with a small less. He, he wasn't right. a major villain or anything. Okay, but he was. I mean, I think they quoted something like he was making a substantial amount of money uh, privately spying on some of these celebrities. Though. Well, if if somebody comes to to you with a juicy story, you you might be inclined to pass it on to the newspapers. That was all he was doing. Really, was was that he was. Uh, for instance, Gordon Brown has been mentioned. He's our former prime minister. Now, somebody mentioned something to me about Brown, and I said, no, the, the dodgy part of it was a property deal. It wasn't anything to do with anything else. Brown had been involved in some sort of dodgy, and it's like, I think, Whitewater in, in America. Right. If, if somebody in the president's office or entourage has been involved in something which is uh, a bit of a shady deal, that's news. Gotcha. So what has happened, like more recently, um, what's, what's the current kind of status of this case? Yeah, well, breaking news in a world exclusive for you. Uh, we are now entering a phase whereby it's becoming very interesting because over £140 million, I don't know how much, that's probably about $200 million, has been spent in the last 32 years uh, trying to find out what happened in terms of the Daniel Morgan murder. Just one murder, because- right? Yeah, you know, the unsolved murder. They tried to pin it on Jonathan Reese and the Vian brothers and other people. Absolutely no proof or evidence was found. Uh, The Metropolitan Police have now, as you say, very recently with the the case involving Cook, that Cook was found to be completely corrupt and and, uh, 
he's claiming that he was mentally ill or whatever. The police, rather bizarrely, are now refusing to pay out, I think it's about a million pounds sterling uh, compensation to Jonathan Rees and to, and to three other men who were involved, the, the Vian brothers and Sid Fillory. Now, they're quibbling. They want to, to, to knock it down to a few thousand or, well, okay, 10,000, 20,000. They're, they're just haggling. Instead of turning around saying, here's the money, you know, shut up and go away. They're now being extremely parsimonious. They're claiming that they don't have any money, which is a bit strange because the guy that was bugging the, uh, the, the offices, uh, the guy who planted uh, child pornography on Sid Fillory's computer, a chap called Derek Haslam, He's been paid very well by the police. So if they can pay Haslam well, they can pay John Reesburg. Do you feel like those those uh, expenditures were really something that was enriching, knowingly enriching all of these people involved in the case? Like this, this was kind of like their gravy train? Well, somebody mentioned to me a few days ago, uh, they don't seem to quibble when it comes to uh, legal fees for the QCs, the barristers, um, right. you know, in America, you have very high profile lawyers. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the people involved in this are very high profile and they're getting quite a bit of money out of it. So long may they continue to make money. But also Jonathan Reese needs to be paid off. Right. Uh, Glenn and Gary Vian need to be paid and Sid Fillory needs to be paid. In fact, uh, Sid Fillory got a small amount of money uh, after the last case because it was proven that, that in his instance, uh, Cook had been, you know, especially vindictive, malicious. All we're talking about now really is malicious prosecution. So pay up. And I mean, Reese has just been put through the ringer. Can you imagine? Like here, they have double jeopardy constitutional provisions would prevent the retrial, at least certainly at the at the local level or the federal level. And there, it's just another bite at the apple, man. Just keep trying and trying and. I uh, kind of looked up on his on his social media, and it seems like he's pretty much, uh, you know, wants to remain in hiding. Well, it's not so much a hiding thing that um, uh, it's it's as you stated about double jeopardy. Uh, Britain doesn't have that any longer, so you can be, kept be putting on on trial for the same offence dozens of times. It's just right. a matter of how fed up they're going to get. Uh, but what we need to do is to focus attention on the amount of mendacity of lying and of corruption with the Metropolitan Police in this case. Also a bit to do with Hampshire Police, who handled Operation Abelard 2. Hmm. What so, was, what's that? What was Operation yeah, Abelard 2? Okay, there have been so many operations concerned with, uh, I, I really should have written down a long list of them, um, concerned with the Daniel Morgan murder. Each separate operation got a new name. Though I think there was an Operation Abelard 1, succeeded by 2. This was Hampshire Police. And Hampshire police, and we're talking about corruption, linked to uh, linked to corruption within the Metropolitan Police and Norfolk Police, all across the southeast southeast of England. Um, there were documents and photographs of the murder scene which went missing, and gotcha. and uh, rather bizarrely, when Haslam was signing his um, his affidavit and various other things because he was involved in the case at that time. He signed under the name of David Haslam, who is his white half-brother. He then signed Derek Haslam. Uh, as I say, documents went missing, photographs went missing. And there was only one person that could have could have done that. So we've, we've got this epicenter of corruption, uh, which has continued up to today. As you say about being in hiding, Haslam is now in hiding in a small town called Downham Market in Norfolk. 
Uh, poor old John Reese isn't in hiding, but he's, he's um, as you say, he's suffered greatly. David Cook, the bent copper, he's sort of went into hiding. He's from Kirkcaldy in Scotland, so he went up, up there um, wondering exactly where he's at the moment. I can try and find out as well. So, yeah, an awful lot of people have got an awful lot, of, lot to hide. And as I, as I may have mentioned, Cook said that if he's ever arrested, quote, uh, I will be far from alone in the dock. Unquote. So he is going to sing like a canary to get a reduced sentence. So what do you think he knows? Everything. He knows an awful lot anyway. Uh, he was obviously cognizant of the fact that by using uh, Gary Eaton and James Ward, who were the two, as I call them, super grasses, two, two guys who ratted out, um, he knew that, that, that uh, what he was doing was illegal. Uh, he obviously hoped that he wouldn't be caught. Now that he has been caught, he's using this... Um, in fact, Haslam himself left the police uh, under under the guise of mental illness. Haslam now claims that he wasn't mentally ill. Hmm. Um, it seems to be a very a very uh, convenient get-out clause that you can simply turn around and say, I had a nervous breakdown, I'm not responsible for my actions, now leave me alone. Gotcha. And what, what do you think the, the court of public opinion in um, United Kingdom, what do you think that is of the Daniel Morgan case? And who do people generally rest their you know, guilt upon? Who do they think did it? Well, there was meant to be a film made uh, about the murder of Daniel Morgan. That seems to have been put on the shelf because I think people who were involved in it had some sort of internal row with each other. They didn't like the way, one of them didn't like the way it was going or something. Um, now, we need to look at the media, especially the, well, what used to be the print media. The Guardian newspaper has got a, a couple of journalists who will take uh, take. Um, funds from the police, let's, I'm just trying to think of a pretty phrase for this, they would be reimbursed by the police for writing a, an article, North Wales Police have already uh, paid one of them, David Conn, the other guy's called Vikram Dodd, and I'm waiting on putting some things in the public domain about some less than moral aspects of Dodd's journalism. Hmm. So we've actually got, for instance, you know, the Times over here is a big newspaper, the Times are quite sympathetic to Jonathan Rees. Uh, the Guardian certainly aren't, and the Guardian also hate anyone that sides alongside Jonathan Rees. Interesting. Uh, so we've got, you know, it, it's sizing up to be the BBC don't like them, or, you know, you've got these little camps in one corner where a group of journalists or, or a group of companies of journalists are saying, well, we don't support you, and then other ones are saying, yes, well, we do. Uh, the police have got an enormous amount of power, and they simply went to one of the newspapers and said, we don't want you to print this story. Spike it. Wow. And it got spiked? Yeah. Uh, that was the Guardian newspaper. Way back um, many years ago, two journalists, Michael Gillard and Laurie Flynn, wanted to do an article on police corruption. And a guy called Andy Heyman, who was at North, I think Norfolk at the time, he, he went on to do counterterrorism. He actually ordered... The, the, the editor of the newspaper to spike it and he, he said something like well you know we always do each other favors now you've got to do me a favor you know it's it's this sort of tacit threat interesting and i mean even this case went all the way up to Theresa may right didn't she have some kind of opinion as uh as home secretary well when she was home secretary we expected great things because she set up the daniel morgan independent panel oh okay i didn't know that yeah now, this has been going on for years. It should have reported years ago. Poor Daniel Morgan's mother actually died before... The, before. I mean, it still hasn't reported. Wow. We were told wow. It was, yeah. 
We were told it was going to report this year. We were told it was going to report last year. It now seems it might report next year. It's just literally people involved in the case will have died of old age. Wow, um, now, Theresa May set that up. And as I say, everybody thought oh, great things. The important thing which I need to, to tell your uh, listeners is uh, Baroness uh, Nula O'Lone is in charge of that. Baroness Nula O'Lone, obviously Northern Irish in a name like that, she was a close friend of Dave Wood and Chris Mahaffey. These were two top cops who were involved uh, with the case or whatever. It's completely, it's meant to be impartial. It's completely partial. Wow. You know, I, I think they're already going to exonerate certain people before they've even found them, you know, they, they found them not guilty before it started. And, and when, May, May set up the independent council in like 2013, so it's almost six years ago, right? Yeah, as, as oh, I say, wow. people thought, well, obviously it would take a year or two to, to, to write everything up. Right. But um, as you say now, we're in 19. I remember last year, the year before, whenever they would get a deadline date, they would simply turn around and say, we are now extending it by another year. Cool. And it's been extended now. We, we thought it was going to be, well, we thought it was going to be last year. Now it's this year and now it's next year. So incredible. Absolutely incredible. And they're just like pushing, kicking the can down the road without this. I mean, there's a massive amount of paperwork. I think in one, I was reading in one of the cases, there was something like 750,000 pages between one of like the fourth and the fifth trial, like the the lawyer, the uh, yeah, the barrister had to reread. He said, I can't, I actually cannot go to court without looking through all this stuff. And it took him tons of time to even prepare for that. So it's just like, there's so much a voluminous encyclopedic amount of information associated with one murder, really. That's three quarters of a million pages. Yeah. And as you quite rightly said, uh, this has been, been mentioned about, about the case. 13 crates, one, three, 13 crates went missing with vital evidence. So how can, how can uh, somebody such as Jonathan Reese or the Vian brothers get a fair trial when all of this stuff has gone missing? It's incredible. You know, that, that always happens in these cases that linger on forever. The, the, inevitably, somebody will lose evidence or anything. There's so many cases like that where, and then also the witnesses pass away, involved people die. It's, uh, it's a shame. It's very similar to the Cardiff Three. I don't know if you ever came across a case called the Cardiff Three in which three innocent men were fitted up by South Wales police. Now, I do remember a quote which one of the guys involved said, they just thought we would fade away. Gotcha. And this seems to be what the police hoped with, with Jonathan Rees, that he'd just fade away. But, of course, it's the opposite. But uh, now, you know, podcasts in America, there's, there's an awful lot of interest in Britain and around the world. So right. we, you know, we really do need to uh, to focus on getting a, a result. And the Cardiff Three was what a false accusation of rape and murder, right? Wasn't that it? Uh, well, the Cardiff Three, I think, were these three guys. Well, uh, I think it was a prostitute had been murdered or yeah. something, right. and the police picked up li literally the first three guys they could, you know, yeah. three three neighbourhood guys or whatever, and I think they they coerced confessions from them, uh, and uh, they went to jail. They they got life sentences for murdering uh, this woman. And it was found on appeal that they hadn't actually been guilty. So when they were released from jail, there was a massive problem with with uh, with doing. In fact, there was um, there was some sort of I think retrial in progress or whatever. I know the appeal went through, hmm. and the the evidence went missing. Get this: after the judge had struck struck out the appeal, 
the evidence reappeared. Wow. Wow, indeed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I can't say anything stronger than yeah. wow, but there we are. That's incredible. I mean, just it's unbelievable. Some of the stuff that happens in these court cases, it's never really that clean. You know, people expect these police officers and uh, people involved in the courts to maintain evidence and, you know, there'll be a clean, quick trial, speedy trial. And oftentimes it's just not. There's a lost evidence. People change their stories. It's There's other things involved. There's a rush to judgment. You know, there definitely are issues involved in cases. Very much so, yes. So where do you think the Daniel Morgan case, uh, you know, it really is headed, at least now, you know, in 2019? You talked about the Theresa May uh, Independent Commission, supposedly Independent Commission. But what do you think, uh, what do you think is going to happen in the future? Do you think there'll be payouts? What I think is going to happen is with the looming prosecution of Cook, uh, this is a sort of world exclusive which I can drop, uh, the uh, CPS, which we have over here, Crown Prosecution Service. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I don't know who does prosecutions in the United States, uh, the attorney's office or something? Well, for, yeah. for the federal level, it would be the um, Justice Department. Okay, okay. So this is something similar. Obviously, we have a, a Ministry of Justice over here. We've got the Crown Prosecution Service, also known as the Clown Prosecution Service or the Can't Prosecute Service. They declined They declined to, uh, to um, put uh, Cook on trial because they said, quote, it would not be in the public interest, unquote. Oh, it certainly is in the public interest. Right. So what's going to happen now is it's going to go private. So uh, Cook is going to be in the dock. And I think in order to save his own neck, he's going to implicate an enormous number of people. And we're going to get a very clear view of what happened. What happened to the Cook investigation or what happened to Cook himself? I mean, to the Morgan investigation or what happened to Morgan himself? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been rereading. There's uh, some books here. I don't know if, if your listeners would be interested. The Untouchables is one by Gillard. Um, then Alastair Morgan, uh, his survived, David, uh, Daniel's surviving brother, and a chap called Peter Jutes, who's more or less paid by the Metropolitan Police, they wrote one called Untold Daniel Morgan Murder Exposed, and a chap called David Bray, who I mentioned, who was in, um, in Malta with Morgan, Daniel Morgan's Southern Investigations, is his book. Now, those are three, uh, three books which deal with it. I cannot, after having read it, come across anything which points to any cause other than either adultery or drugs. And I think Gillard is, be is beginning to come across and, and, and distill his knowledge of the case to, to, to state that that is what, what actually happened. Gotcha. Um, yeah, you know, there's been very recently Dukes and Haslam got together and came up with the most implausible rubbish about uh, Morgan was killed because he found out that there was some sort of drugs deal going down with the IRA in Norfolk and the IRA landing boatloads of drugs and They all came from Miami. I call it Miami Vice because it's like a script from Miami Vice that some idiot has just, you know, brushed the dust off of and, and changed a few names and thought, well, this sounds like a good, sort of like a crime thriller. But right. it's fiction. It's absolutely, there is no proof of any of these weird and wild allegations. The, uh, the Alan Taffy Holmes murder comes into In fact, murder, it was suicide. They're now saying that it was murder. Uh, Holmes was under enormous pressure to to do a deal over police corruption. And rather than rat out his friends, he actually killed himself. 
Right, and that so was an original death surrounding the case in 1987, right? Was Alan yeah, Holmes. This gotcha. is almost, this is about a month after, I think, the uh, Daniel Morgan murder, uh, that, uh, that Holmes was found in his, um, in his garden with a shotgun beside him. And uh, it, it all looks very, very suspicious. But having said that, he was put under enormous pressure by Haslam to, uh, to, to name names. Gotcha. And I mean, it seems, would, would it be correct to say that there's been an industry that has developed around the mur this murder case? I think, yeah, industry is, it's, that's a, it's as good a term as any to use. Okay. Uh, journalists have been covering it. And then the, the Morgan family themselves say, oh, well, it's not prominent enough because we're not getting enough uh, media coverage. Alastair Morgan was described by Haslam as, quote, a professional mourner earning 30000 a year, unquote. Wow. Because he just appears and he sort of keeps saying about the about the, the death of um, of his brother. And Haslam also said, oh, he doesn't, Alastair Morgan doesn't have a life outside of his, it's his crusade. Because Alastair Morgan's life wasn't going terribly well beforehand. I mentioned the, the sort of the drugs by the mm -hmm. um, Do you know what kind of drugs they were interested in? Or what I, I, somebody said it was it was soft drugs. Somebody else said it was hard drugs. Hmm. Um, that's 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 really beside the point to it. To 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 a great extent, we just know that uh, that uh, Daniel Morgan frequented the Golden Line to get these purchases. And obviously, the night he was there, it was nothing to do with drugs. It was a business meeting. So, gotcha. yeah. and Sydenham is what southeast London? Is that right? So it's Sydenham. Sydenham is southeast London. It's near Sydenham. near where I came from. Gotcha. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, I mean it's incredible. So 1987 to 19 2019, it's been 32 years of just uh, keep going. So what what do you see is going to happen in the near future or the future? Well, the near future is this very interesting development concerning Cook. Right uh, now, the the Metropolitan Police are trying to wriggle out of it, and I I've, I've been told that they like like reading Godzilla. So here's here's a, a hint for them: pay the compensation. Gotcha. If you pay the compensation, that, that nips a lot of things in the bud. But for, for a very wealthy organization to start quibbling over a few thousand pounds, it's ridiculous. You've already spent $140 million. Right. Well, isn't so, there any, any type of public outcry over that massive expenditure? I mean, that's a huge $200 million American dollars. Just an incredible sum. Yes, for nothing, because they've yeah. got the wrong men. You know, they've, they've now been, especially with, with uh, Cook coming under intense scrutiny, uh, five um, uh, law lords actually stated politely that Cook was lying. So where does this, you know, where does this lead us? A few, uh, there's, there's a, a magazine called Private Eye, which is, by the way, it's got nothing to do with private eyes or private detectives, I should say. It's a satirical magazine, but it's it's been championing uh, the fact that uh, there is uh, an awful lot of police corruption. Right. And um, you write about the Morgan case on Gogzilla as well, too. Yes, that's great. G-O-G-G-Z, as you would call it, I-L-L-A, G-O-G-G-Z-I-L-L-A, Godzilla WordPress. Um, it deals almost exclusively with the Daniel Morgan murder and developments within it. Gotcha. And uh, we're at like forty minute, the 40-minute mark. Is there anything else we missed or you would like to add? No, I've, I've, I'm just looking at my notes, and I think we've covered everything. If there's anything else you want, please contact me. Oh, I'll just follow up with you. But I mean, I would suggest people go look at your blog. Again, it's Kieran Goggins, G-O-G-G-I-N-S. And if people are interested, you can listen to our previous discussion about the deep agent within the IRA by the name known by the name of Steak Knife. But uh, tonight, 
it was the subject. The subject was the murder of Daniel Morgan. So, Kieran Goggins, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank All you right. very much. Cool, man. Thank, thank you very much. All right. Thank you.